This is The Drive with Josh Graham podcast. Tune into The Drive weekday afternoons 3 to 7 on Sports Hub Triad. It is a football Friday. And since Panthers-Lions has all the makings of being a snooze fest, the two games I'm most interested in this weekend involve group of five college football teams. There's App State Coastal, which you can listen to right here on Sports Up Triad, and we'll get to that game in a minute. Then there's NC State hosting ranked Liberty under the lights at Carter-Finley Stadium. A game that looks very weird to me because I expect the ACC team, State, to be the aggressor in this circumstance, not the mid-major Liberty. How often is it the other time around, the other way around, where you have the team playing the Power 5 opponent, coming from the group of five, they've had this game circled all year long, and they're wanting to send a message. That's It's always, I went to East Carolina We've carried App State the last few years. I've loved getting to know a ton of App State players, coaches, fans alike. The perspective is similar. When they play that big Power 5 opponent, it's almost viewed like a Super Bowl. They don't like hearing that term. I'm not even a big fan of it, but that's always the term that's thrown around, and there's some truth to it. You're going to pour a lot into this game. You've had it circled on the calendar for the entire year. That's not the case with Liberty this time. It seems the roles are reversed here. Liberty's unbeaten. They're ranked. They've already beaten an ACC team this year. Not only did they beat an ACC team, they beat one in their state. They went to Blacksburg. They beat the Hokies. It was in dramatic fashion. So do you honestly think just a few weeks after that, they're viewing NC State as their big game of the year? I don't think so. This is an element of sports I don't think you can really quantify. You can't really measure it with analytics. You can't mask urgency. I think NC State's going to have more of that. They're going to be gunning for the Flames. It would be their best win of the year if they got it. What else is in the running? The Wake Forest win, 45-42 in their opener? That probably would be the answer. On the road at Virginia, when the starting quarterback got knocked out? That might be a stretch even though they won that game convincingly. They had an opportunity at a big signature win in Chapel Hill. That didn't go well. We remember Sam Howe telling everybody, telling God in the entire world that they know what a ram is to a wolf. Then there was the Miami game a few Friday nights ago. I thought State had a shot there. They potentially could win that game. And they were in position to do so, scoring a lot of points. Bam Knight was great. Special teams involvement. They got everything. They poured so much into that game. It was a Friday nighter. Top 10 team in the country in town. They were up 10 in the fourth quarter. Then Miami proved why it's a top 10 team. And De'Eric King, why he's probably a dark horse Heisman candidate. Now it's another top 25 team. And it's in your house. 
and it's in prime time. A week after you wore those gross NIU-looking uniforms, kind of rough. I don't know if you saw those, Robert. Not a big fan of them. No idea what state's going to be wearing tomorrow night. The Pack, they like to play a physical brand of ball. That matters when it's Group of Five versus Power Five, and it's late in the year. Group of Five versus Power Five, physical ball. Odds are the Power Five team has more depth, has more raw talent. I'm not sure if Liberty's going to hold up. If NC State can get into the game that they want, I think they're going to control this game. Bam, Ricky Person Jr. in the backfield. Hammer those two backs, even though I thought Bailey Hockman played incredibly well a week ago against his former team, nonetheless. This is a program that hands out bottles of maple syrup to offensive linemen, tight ends, running backs, heck, even a quarterback every now and then when they hand out pancake blocks. When they're setting blocks, that's what this program's about. NC State, they talk about it as a tagline. We play smash mouth football. That's what we're here to do. Peyton Wilson. Setting the tone on the defense. Then there are these stats here that I think stand out. And it's why, again, I think NC State's going to win this game. Historically, Dave Doran's done a really good job against the group of five. Dating back to him being at Northern Illinois. He was only there for a couple of years. Got the Huskies to the Orange Bowl. Dave, including those two seasons, 36-3 and against the group of five opponents. I'll say that again. 36-3 and against group of five opponents. Dave Doran's been dominant there. What's even crazier, Robert, I'm not sure how many of these games you went to as an ECU guy. Two of those three losses were to East Carolina. I did not go to the Raleigh game, but I was at the Scotty Montgomery game. I was working in the ECU broadcast booth for the game in Raleigh, open window situation when they were chanting purple, gold. Doran did not forget that. I don't think he still has forgiven ECU for that. There's no love lost when it comes to the Pirates and NC State. It's why Dave Doran's calling timeouts to ice the kicker when a game is 59 to nothing at the end of a game. Not sure if you remember that, but that sticks out to me throwing pirate hooks sarcastically. Scotty Montgomery, he only won nine games as ECU's coach. One of those nine inexplicably against NC State in 2016, but that's a little bit too much East Carolina talk as the Pirates look to get right against Matt Rule's Temple Owls, the fighting Matt Rule's of Temple. Pirates can never beat Temple, but I'll put that as an aside. 36-3. and Dave Doran against group of five teams. I think that becomes 37-3 and tomorrow night. It's because State's going to be the aggressor, which is odd, in a group of five, power five matchup. The shoe is on the other foot. Let's transition to the game tomorrow at noon, which, again, you could listen to right here on Sports Hub Triad. It is one of my six football picks of the weekend. I'll quickly run through the rest of them in just a bit. Appalachian State, I think, pulls off the upset and hands ranked Coastal Carolina their first loss of the year tomorrow, and this is why. App State, they've played big games like this on a regular basis. 
Coastal hasn't. Coastal's been a an FBS program playing big boy football in the Sun Belt the last three years. App State, hardly a vet in the FBS, been around longer, and while they've been around, they've been able to schedule big-time opponents. They'll go to Happy Valley and Penn State and take the Nittany Lions to overtime. They'll go to Knoxville and come close against the Tennessee Vols. They'll beat North Carolina and Keenan last year. Of course, the richest moment of their history is beating as an FCS team, Michigan in the big house. Coastal? As an FBS school the last three years, here's the complete list of Power 5 teams they've faced. They've faced Kansas and South Carolina getting dragged by the Gamecocks three years ago. The Mountaineers, they're in a different place as a program where they not only want to win, but they expect to win. And they're used to playing in games like this as they've dominated the Sun Belt in recent years. App is the best team Coastal has seen this year. Coastal, it's been a great story. They got the mullets. They've got Dirty Myrtle and the branding, cool colors, fun new thing in college football, really good on social media. They won on a late field goal against Louisiana. They beat Kansas for the second straight year. App State has only had one hiccup this year, a loss in Huntington to a very good Marshall team. We didn't even know how good Marshall was at that point. They're a top-20 team, legit quarterback play. I love what the Thundering Herd and Doc Holliday are doing right now. App State's more talented than anybody else Coastal has faced. And the Mountaineers know this game is their season. This game will decide whether or not they play in the Sun Belt Championship game. They'll have a shot at defending their Sun Belt title. If they lose, they don't have a shot. You want, you know, when I gave App State last week to cover 16 against Georgia State and they didn't, and you might be wondering why they weren't as impressive, I think it's because they've known for months that this game against Coastal, it's the game. They were unimpressive because they were looking ahead to this one. So give me the Mountaineers plus five and a half. That's one of the six picks I have this weekend. Robert, since we've already done a lot of East Carolina this segment, a lot of mentions of the Pirates, why not just have Mike Houston cue things up here? Put some money on it. That's the first pick I have going down the list. I'm laying 35 with Clemson this weekend. Just do it. Dabo coming off a loss. They can pretty much pick their score. Every day it seems like another Seminoles not, uh, has opted out for the rest of the year. Trevor Lawrence is coming back. They're not going to lay off of the Seminoles in tally. Lay the 35. Put some money on it. Arkansas, Pig Suey. Yes, sir! Plus two at home against LSU. Even though LSU's been bad, they're still the defending champs, and you don't get many opportunities to beat up on Ed Orgeron and the Tigers. I don't think Arkansas is going to miss their shot. Really good against the spread. They're at home in Fayetteville. I think Arkansas wins this game. I like getting the two points, though. Put some money on it. Pitt, Virginia Tech. Hokies have had a tough go of late. They are going to Heinz Field, which has been a house of horrors for the Hokies in recent years. I like that I'm getting a little bit more than a field goal. Pitt plus three and a half here. They're a different team with Kenny Pickett. Look at the numbers. Different team. We were thinking this could be a ranked football team. 
a sleeper in the ACC with Kenny at quarterback. When he got hurt, it really disjointed this team. I think Pitt's going to win this football game. I do, again, like that I'm getting the points. I love picking dogs. Put some money on it. And the two NFL games I have, I'm going to lay the two and a half with the Patriots. Bill's just too good against his former assistant. Even if it was Bill O'Brien, I'd probably lay the two and a half. I love it even more since it's less than a field goal and it's Romeo Cornell. Put some money on I it. think they figured some things out. So I'm going to take the Patriots there. Packers, they're plus two and a half. Vegas loves the Colts. They've loved them all year. I don't get it. I'm getting a better football team and Aaron Rodgers playing in a dome. Does it scare you all at all that Devontae Adams is not going to play? It doesn't. I'm going to take Aaron Rodgers and the Packers to win this game, plus two and a half. Give me all of that. I love it. And that is best bets this week. App State plus five and a half against Coastal. Clemson minus 35 against Florida State. Arkansas plus the two against LSU. Pitt plus a field goal and change against the Hokies. Packers plus two and a hook against the Colts on the road. And the Patriots in Houston, or as some people call it, it, Houston minus the two and a half. Okay, wow. Let's go. Back to the drive with Josh Graham on Sports Hub Triad. On this radio show, we try to pride ourselves in honesty and not trying to dress up a turd. I've Every single Panther game this year have been intrigued by this team. They've been fun even in defeat. And I think with Joe Brady's offense, Matt Rule, some of the innovative things he's done, how aggressive he tends to be game to game, I've been interested in this team, more interested than I thought I would be. Not this week. Detroit, this is a stinker. It is. Especially if Teddy Bridgewater is not able to play. It might be the least consequential home game for the Panthers in a decade. Maybe the least talented Panther team to take the field in a decade when you consider, arguably, the four most valuable players on the team. Teddy, McCaffrey, Okun, KK Short, who's on IR, not going to play in it. So, here's my responsibility as a radio host, I feel. We're going to get to C.L. Brown, who's going to join us, talk some heels basketball and football as we're a week out from their big game against Notre Dame. We're going to try and make this a more enjoyable experience for you on Sunday. I put together a drinking game. You know, because we all win in the end if it's a good drinking game, right, Robert? Like, if you've had a few, well, you're not really a loser at the end because you're feeling pretty good. Yeah, I would agree with that. Sounds about right. I'm going to call this drinking game for Panthers-Lions Sunday. Keep pounding beers. Here's how it's going to work. There are one drink events, two drink events, three drink events, and then a few events. If they happen, you have to chug the full beer. Chug a full beer, right? One drink is just a sip, two drinks, two sips. You understand it. Here are the one drink policies. Every time there's a score, you drink. Every time there's a third down conversion, gosh, with how bad the Panthers defense has been on third down, this might be a lot of drinks. You drink. 20-yard play. Robert, who's the guy you've been telling us about all week? 
Uh, Marvin Hall. Watch out for that guy. If he gets 20-plus yards on a play, you drink. If a Panther gets 20-plus yards on a play because Jeff Okuda is still trying to make it in the NFL, and boy, it's hard for a corner with no training camp, no preseason, no offseason to really adapt. You got to drink. Here are the two-drink policies. Every time Curtis Samuel carries the ball, drank. Brian Burns, if it's a quarterback hurry, a quarterback hit, or a sack, drank. Last few games, he's had 10 pressures, which is second in the NFL. He's gotten close, but hasn't quite gotten home. Christian McCaffrey, if they show him on the sidelines on the television broadcast, drank. Joe Brady, if he's mentioned on television, by name or by image, even if they show the wrong guy, two drinks. Here are the three drinks. Don't know why I'm saying it that way. Fourth down attempts. Carolina likes to be aggressive. If they go for it on fourth down, regardless if they get it, three drinks. If Carolina does something they didn't do last week, didn't do in the Saints game, and only did it once against the Chiefs and Falcons, if they force a punt, whenever that happens, three drinks. Panthers have been bad with this one lately. First or third quarter timeouts. If they spend one each time, three drinks. And we got two kickers that are pretty good. Big legs, Matt Prater and Joey Sly. If they hit a 50-plus yard field goal, three drinks. But these are the most rare of the bunch. If any of these things happen, you got to chug a beer, period. Fake punt. If Carolina runs a fake punt for the fourth straight week, you got to go and grab a new brewski in the in the fridge and finish that one off. What if they switch it up and run like a fake field goal? Like, would you would you allow that to drink your whole drink too? Yeah, fake punt or fake field goal. That's. I think that that's beer chugging worthy. Because like, what if he's listening to this now and he's like, "I'm not running a fake punt now. I don't want to get everybody so drunk." Okay, fake field goal counts too. Surprise onside kick. So not like end of game onside kick because you're desperate. I'm talking surprise onside kick. Outside of the last two minutes of a of a game. Then if Tommy Stevens gets on the field, if he plays or if he gets mentioned on TV, national broadcast, not McMixon's call, chug a beer. And I'll add one. This is the last one. If the Carolina Panthers win, if they snap this losing skid, chug a beer. That is the keep pounding beers drinking game. Who's with me? Who's with me? <laughs> Not hey, them. Nah, you guys no, can't drink. No. Get the hell back in the basement. 336-777-1600. Who's with me? <laughs> Follow me. On Twitter at Sports Hub Triad. As I mentioned, CL's going to join us in 10 minutes. But we got some LeVar Ball sound, and you knew this was coming, didn't you? You knew somebody was going to bite the bullet. It wasn't us. It was Fox 46 in the Queen City, my guy Josh Sims doing the interview, you're going to hear his voice at the start of this, had LeVar Ball on and asked the question that I think a lot of us have been wanting the answer to. Famously, back in 2017, you said you would work Michael Jordan if you played him yes, one-on-one. -on -one. All day, every day. Big ball one-on-one -on -one never lost. I'm telling you, he was a great player five-on-five. Five. But one-on-one, -on -one, hey, he need help. And guess what? Ain't no help coming. 
I'm too fast and too strong. Even to this day, y'all want some action? But listen, if you want some, you're going to have to pay for it this time. But I'll tell you what, can't no 57-year-old man beat me. Famously. That is LeVar Ball. Ain't no 57-year-old beating me. This is the way LeVar's talking about his son's new boss. He would make a great preacher. Or like a used car salesman. Oh, yeah. that uh, Used car salesman's probably the route I'd go. If LeVar Ball was at the front of the church, I'd be a little skeptical. Nah, he'd be up there hollering. He's like, Ollie, you need to come to the cross because ain't no help coming. That was a great line. That, is that a was line. a great line. Uh-huh. With the power of Christ, I'm going to beat Michael Jordan one-on-one. Even if Jesus was 57, he couldn't beat me in a game of one-on-one. I'm going to work Michael Jordan like Jesus Shuttlesworth worked his dad. That's what we're going to do. Uh, I don't think anybody's surprised by that answer, are we? No, what was he supposed to do? He's in character. Uh... Well, actually, I would like to have a more diplomatic response. I'm just happy for my son. I'm happy for LaMelo. I don't know why I sound like I'm in Lord of the Rings now or Eeyore. Sound like a hobbit. Very friendly. Eeyore. I don't know why I just turned uh, uh, LeVar Ball into Eeyore, but I don't think anybody's surprised by him saying that. That's the point I'm making here. And... I wonder if Michael is going to respond. It's like a rapper, an obscure rapper, dissing somebody into the ether. You're going to take shots at the baby. I was at, I was hanging out with B-Dot at No Stress Fest this summer, and one of the rappers there that I'd never heard of before, he fired shots at the baby, And Dot said, this might be the best thing to ever happen to this guy. I'm like, why? If the baby responds, well, it's going to be great for him. That's kind of where LeVar's at now. Yeah, you can do these interviews and you can be the big guy who is in character and defending his stance and such. It doesn't mean anything unless Jordan responds, does it? Hey, it means good entertainment, but I mean, I mean, what would it mean even if Jordan responded, oh. then what are they going to do? Oh. They're going to play a game? He said now oh. you're going to have to pay for it. Sounds like he's trying to get oh. some money out it, of this. Here's the thing. That's a local Charlotte TV station. I don't know if that's going to end up anywhere where we're currently at with LeVar and how he's being covered. If Michael responds to that clip, if Michael responds to LeVar, it's going to lead every single sports show across to, across America, potentially. It depends what he says. If he just says, like, I ain't playing LeVar, then it's just going to be like, he ain't playing LeVar. Well, then, then it'll be debated, should he play LeVar? Is he scared? You know, if Michael Jordan acknowledges anything that you say, it, it's news. I've said this before, and I mean it. There is nobody I can think of in America who's more difficult to get to do an interview with than Michael Jordan. To put in perspective, when Obama was in office, and I think also with George Bush, working with um, David Glenn, we we got those presidents on. (laughs) I think maybe even HW as well. Got presidents on, right? (laughs) You can find a context where it would be it would make sense for to get a politician on. But never Michael. No. Just just no. It he, he's untouchable. He really is. He, he's at the top of the list. People ask me this. Who would you most want to interview more than anybody else 
Michael Jordan's number one end of story. Guy I'd want to sit down and really pick his brain. All right, we are five days away from the start of the college basketball season. Five days. So let's do a deep dive into this Carolina basketball team, take a look at them, and even take a quick look at this game a week from the day, North Carolina and Notre Dame. To help us do that, C.L. Brown's going to join us next. Want to become a real sports fan? Leave it right here. It turns everyone it touches into raging psychotics. All things sports. Well, sometimes. On the Drive with Josh Graham. We are five days away from the start of the college basketball season. The Tar Heels are off this weekend. We've spent time talking about State and Liberty. I think State's going to win that game. It's the rare example where you have the Power 5 team probably as more of the aggressor than the group of five team they're playing. Liberty ranked in the top 25, beating Virginia Tech a couple of weeks ago. App State Coastal will have that game on our station tomorrow. Excited to see what the Mountaineers can do. I really do think they're going to pull the upset of the chance tomorrow. But we're a week away from North Carolina-Notre Dame, which is going to be a marquee game next week. There's no doubt about it. And to talk Tar Heel basketball and that game, first impressions of it a week out, C.L. Brown now joining us, Tar Heel beat writer for the News and Observer. C.L., it's good to have you here. Hope you're well. Hope you're safe. Let's look at basketball first and foremost. When I look at this Tar Heel team, Roy, he prides himself in being able to identify talent at point guard and in the post. It seems he's done a good job of that this year. But I'm asking where the shooting is. I don't know who the most reliable perimeter shooter on this roster is, so that's where I go when I look at concerns. Where do you go first? Yeah, I would say that that you hit the nail on the head. I think it's the wing in general, and I, and I don't just mean the perimeter shooting aspect of it, but I, I think obviously with the front court that they they have returning and Dayron Sharp specifically joining that mix, um, they'll be back to having a, a traditional front court like Roy likes playing too big together. Uh, which which should bode well for their rebounding and, and their inside play. But I just wonder, I mean, our team's just going to be able to sag down on Garrison Brooks inside and De'Ron Sharp and, you know, make things tough and make Carolina make shots from the outside before they ever score. Because, I mean, I was high on Leaky Black as a freshman. He certainly has been injured, you know, these last two years and hasn't quite made that jump, although we've seen flashes. Of, of great potential in what he can do. He has to have a huge year for them. And and just in general, somebody's got to be that knockdown shooter, and it'll probably end up being uh, a freshman, I would imagine. Um, R.J. Davis was, was a ridiculous scorer in high school. Maybe he's the guy. Uh, maybe it's Kerwin Walton, who, who wasn't as highly touted, but it certainly has the reputation of as uh, of a great shooter. Uh, maybe it's maybe it's somebody like Andrew Playtech who we just kind of been <laughs> sleeping on, and and maybe this is you know as as somebody who could have a singular role and that be what he does and he's improved. Who knows? But they they got to have somebody. Let's drill in deeper on Leaky Black here, where who, who's drawn a lot of criticism because when you're out there, I don't care what sport you're talking about, 
People just assume that you're healthy, and he hasn't been. He hasn't been the last few years, as you've noted. Also, I don't think a lot... When people talk about how you perform, most people who watch it casually are just talking about scoring. Leaky, aside from maybe Trey Jones and Trent Forrest in the ACC, about as good of a perimeter defender you're going to find in the ACC. And if he's healthy, I expect that to continue this year. When you're looking at expectations to set for him, North Carolina, they're going to be in good shape if he hits these benchmarks. What are you wanting to see from Leaky Black that you haven't? Uh, well, consistency in terms of shooting and scoring, for sure. I mean, he was 25% from three-point range last year. Uh, and, you know, <laughs> he wasn't always healthy, but I don't think 25% can all be blamed on health. You know what I mean? Some of the shot selection. Absolutely. Um, but he, he's got he's to gotta be better for them in that respect. Um and I think he needs to score a little bit more for, for them. I think he should at least be a, you know, 10-point-a-game kind of player. And he's going to do all the rest of the little things. Like, I, I, I have no uh, no questions in terms of him as a defender or rebounder um, or even a distributor. Uh, he's obviously somebody who's played point guard duty, had spot duty at point guard for Carolina in the past. And, and can definitely be a primary ball handler when need be. Um, so, uh, and, and I feel like he he makes pretty good decisions with the ball. So, um, I think he can do all those things. It's just a matter of his his shot. He has to he has to be more of a knockdown shooter than he's ever been. Last thing on Tar Heel basketball, CL Brown with us here. He's on Twitter at CL Brown Hoops. Read his stuff in the Observer and at NewsObserver.com. You can find his stuff there. Dayron Sharp, I remember watching him in Eastern North Carolina, called a few of his games at South Central High before he went the preps route. And I just thought, man, for a big guy, he has a clean-looking jumper. And we're hearing Roy Williams shower a lot of praise on this kid. And it used to be a thing that Roy never really did that much in the past. Uh, Going to pump up a freshman as much as he's pumping up these guys, it seems like now. We've heard a lot about this recruiting class for a while. And... I'm I'm excited for what it's going to be, but can Dayron be a guy you see uprooting a returning player, let's say like Armando Baycott, to potentially be a starter giving North Carolina, as we see it right now, three freshmen in the starting five? Do you think Roy would do that? Yeah. <laughs> if, if that's what is warranted. Uh, but we also know that Marvin Williams never started a game on the 05 championship team. Sure. And ended up being the number two pick overall in the draft. The Sierra Little, so, he even got drafted. Yeah, so so I think it will really just kind of depend on. Uh, I think I think to start the season, I think Armando will have kind of the leg up, even though Sharp is is by all accounts the truth and and highly talented. But I still think just that veteran, you know, that experience might might be what edges him out. But I think as the season goes on, <laughs> knock on wood, God willing that we actually see the season progressing and not games canceled and everything. Of course. I think that uh Sharp Sharp would definitely be somebody who could uh who could end up cracking that starting lineup. C. L. Brown with us covering the Tar Heels. Let's look at the game a week out. It's Notre Dame, it's North Carolina, uh it's the day after Thanksgiving. You know, we've seen a lot of weird things happen 
this week in the college football season over the years, right after Thanksgiving. And it's going to be a massive game. Notre Dame, top three in the country. North Carolina has had a pretty good schedule this year, but this is a game that you circle. When you're looking ahead to this game, what's your early read on it? Well, uh, Carolina's defense certainly has to play better than they've shown for Carolina to have a shot. I think, obviously, I think Carolina's offense can play with anybody and and is going to put up some points. But, um, you know, they've had to essentially play perfect games almost. You know, you, you put up 40 points, you should win at Virginia, you know. Um, so uh, it's going to be a, a thing where I feel like the last part, you know, the, the late third quarter, early fourth quarter for sure part of how Carolina's defense played against Wake Forest has to be the defense that plays against Notre Dame. And I think a lot of that has to do with them trusting some of their young guys in the front seven to, to log minutes so that the starters and the veterans are able to stay fresh in the game, um, which is something that Matt Brown has talked about all season, just trying to get his young guys more experience and adding more depth. And and it kind of paid out, uh, you know, in the in the comeback against Wake Forest. So they're going to need that. Notre Dame doesn't strike me, you know. I mean, I know they're number two and all, but I, they don't strike fear in me if I'm preparing for them. You know, they 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 do what they do really well. Um, you know, they got a great uh, line, offensive line. You know, that I think is physical. Um, and Carolina's going to have to contend with that. But they don't just strike me as a you-make-a-mistake-you're-done kind of team. Like, they can just overpower you. So I think they're beatable, uh, especially coming into Chapel Hill, even without a crowd. <laughs> um, uh, so, yeah, we'll, we'll see how that all plays out. North Carolina's off this weekend in football. It's going to be a week out. North Carolina, Notre Dame. Uh, so, CL, enjoy the off week because I know next week's going to be busy as College of Charleston faces North Carolina next Wednesday night. And then, of course, you have that football game right after Thanksgiving if we don't chat. Uh, before the holiday, I hope you have a happy and safe Thanksgiving. It's good to hear your voice, man. Hope to see you sometime soon. Thanks for doing this. All right. You as well, Josh. Thanks for having me. Got it. That's CL Brown joining us from the News and Observer. Good stuff there. Notre Dame, I'll tell you why. They've been a mainstay at the top of the standings uh, the last few years, going to the playoffs and, and a playoff in 17, really good this year. And I think it's been an adjustment in branding and recruiting priorities since that 2012 title blowout loss to Bama. The perception of Notre Dame was that they could not play in the trenches with the big boys. You go up against Clemson, you go up against Bama, they're just going to get blown off the ball. Their athletes can't hang anymore. What's changed, Robert, is that the Irish have become offensive line you, O-line you. If you want to be an NFL offensive lineman and get paid, that's where you go. That's where you go because you see how the offenses are changing, even in the SEC. Oh, it just means more. We're going to play pro-style offense. That's changed. Mike Leach is now in that league. Lane Kiffin's down there. You know, Nick Saban's slinging it all over the yard with Mac Jones and these receivers, and Tua did it last year. LSU, Joe Burrow. 
Notre Dame has stayed true to this. And you know you're going to run things. It's not going to be spread at Notre Dame. When you go to the Irish and you're going to play in that offense under Brian Kelly, it's going to resemble an NFL-type offense, which gives scouts a better look, which gets you prepared for what you're going to be doing in the pros. And that's why you've seen how many dudes, Robert, you follow it closely, specifically line play, how many guys have come out of that school and turned out to be absolute studs? I mean, a lot. I don't have an actual number for you. Quentin Nelson comes to mind at guard. For sure. Let me do a little research, and I'll pull some names for you. Yeah, and this year they have guys that are going to be first-round draft picks. And Notre Dame, they've built that image. That is not a rich resource in today's college football. It is hard to find big guys on the D-line and O-line who have great talent, great form, great feet. That's rare. And you only find it in certain pockets of the country, too. And Notre Dame now can go into homes and get kids that Nick Saban wants, get kids that Dabo wants. That wasn't the case even five years ago. Uh, here's their first-round pick since 2014. You got Zach Martin to the Cowboys in O-line. 2014. Quentin Nelson in 2018, Ronnie Stanley in 2016, and Mike McGlinchey in 2018. Goodness. All those guys. Tremendous linemen. All right, I want to play a game before we get to Rhinestone Cowboy, a Rhinestone Cowboy Friday. Trying to find ways to make this Lions-Panthers game more fun because, goodness, if if Teddy doesn't play, it's not going to be a lot of fun. Not going to be fun for the Panthers, not going to be a lot of fun to watch. So I'm bringing back a segment that me and Darren made popular and we kept it with baseball. We called it the Nickelbacks of baseball, where we'd be nostalgic looking back on our uh, looking back on the era of baseball, 2000 to 2009, and you'd remember a lot of those names. Where we're not looking for the absolute best player. So I guess for the Lions, we're not looking for Calvin Johnson, Robert. For the Panthers, you're not looking for Julius Peppers or Steve Smith. You just want the average guys. And the way you'd be rewarded for giving us a nickel back for the Panthers or the Lions in this case is with this sound. That is Imagine Dragons. Do we have Nickelback or did we lose Nickelback? Look at this photograph. See, the Imagine Dragons, that's when you get into maybe, I'm trying to think who would be an Imagine Dragon for the Panthers. Average player, you'd be talking about... Ed Dixon. Ed Dixon. That's pretty good. I like that. That would be a perfect... You would get that sound. You would get the Imagine Dragon. Uh, but you got it backwards again. Yeah, backwards again. Damn it. All right. Here's what I got for the Lions here. Number one front and center has to be Joey Harrington. This is what I was worried about. I was worried about not knowing some of these guys. Like, they're two nickelback. You don't know Joey Harrington? No. He was the quarterback. I do not for, remember a Joey Harrington. He was a first-round pick, I thought, too. I mean, Joey he might, Harrington. He might be, but I didn't get super into football until, like, 2008. So, Joey Harrington's the guy. Um, He jumped around. He played four years for the Lions. He was a finalist for the Heisman Trophy. I'm trying to remember where he went to school. 
Hmm. I think he went to Oregon. That's right when Oregon was starting to get good. Joey Harrington's one. Do you remember wide receiver Roy Williams? Look at this photograph. I do, I do. Didn't they also used to have a Mike Williams, something like that? They had Mike Williams, not the one that went to Clemson. There was another wide receiver, so they had multiple Williams playing wide out. Number 11, Roy Williams playing at at wide out. They even picked up Roy Williams, the defensive back, later on in his career, but that would be an Imagine Dragons, Robert, not a nickelback. How about, I? this might have been my first fantasy team running back when I started doing fantasy in the early 2000s. Running back Kevin Jones. Oh, wow. Look at this photograph. I have not thought about Kevin Jones in a minute. I got friends of mine named Kevin Jones. Running back Kevin Jones went to Virginia Tech. He was a Detroit Lion his first few years. I think also played for the Bears a little while. Would uh would James Stewart be too good? He had a thousand he had two thousand yard seasons, but No, that qualifies. Definitely. That definitely qualifies. Kevin Jones had himself a number of good years. Oh, I got one. Tar Heel Dre Bly. Dre Bly spent four years with the Lions. So let's quickly jump to the Panthers now. As we're doing this, Darren's texting me. He's jealous that we're doing this. <laughs> Panthers. This, I don't even know where to begin. This I, is going to be a lot of fun. I had three here written down. All right, give me who you got, and I'll I'll, I'll assess whether they're too good. Yeah, uh, Dan Morgan, is he too good? Too good. Uh, Chris Jenkins, is he too good? I'll allow Chris Jenkins. Look at this photograph. He did have a lot of uh, uh, tackles for a loss and stuff, and I was looking at his stats. I was like, eh, borderline. And then for the Panthers, he wasn't that good. Evan Mathis. I just gave it to me without you even giving me the... Yeah, I would say he's too good of a player, but for the Panthers, he wasn't that great. I'm thinking about, if we're going Hall of Fame class of Nickelback for the Panthers, Rod, he hate me smart. Look at this photograph. Bald-headed Nick Goings. Look at this photograph. And you gotta have, lining up across from Steve Smith in a championship game, as Smitty got triple-teamed, Number 83, Carrie Colbert. Look at this photograph. And just for good measure, I'll throw in Drew Carter as well. Look at this photograph. I remember going to the Panthers-Ravens game in 06 when McNair got knocked out. Kyle Bowler threw three touchdowns in that game, but the Panthers still won. Drew Carter had a couple of TD grabs. That was fun. Going on the road to MNT Bank Stadium, watching the Panthers win that game. I've told you this story. Steve Smith, he he threw gloves at me, and I knew he was throwing it at me because I'm the only guy wearing a Panther jersey in that corner of the end zone. But some jerk 40 mid middle-aged guy reached up his hands and grabbed the gloves and ran off. Not a cool thing to do when a teenage Josh Graham was wanting his Steve Smith gloves. Not nice. Not nice at all. Josh Graham loves to talk sports. He also loves writing sports poetry, but he can't think of a rhyme for pocket. Oh, I get it. You're on The Drive with Josh Graham. LaMelo Ball was introduced today 
wearing the number two for the Charlotte Hornets. He was asked what he did when he arrived in town last night. He answered, I grabbed cookout. No clue what his go-to tray was, but there's something we've had in common. Already finding connecting points, both me and LaMelo Ball have eaten cookout in the last 24 hours. Do you think he got a tray, or since he's new to town, probably was trying to figure out the menu? Because one of my favorite things to do is take someone from out of this area who's never been there before, have them look at the menu in astonishment, where some type of uh, iteration of this question is asked. Is it really that cheap? What is a hush puppy? That's something I was asked. What is cheer wine? You think LaMelo Ball knows the ropes or no? Uh, probably. He seems pretty well-traveled, and, and Cookout's kind of its own thing now where when he came here, I'm sure so many people tweeted him or sent him DMs on Instagram, like, check it out. He probably knew what he was doing. Probably got a milkshake. I'd bet he got a milkshake. You just got drafted. Top three or going to Charlotte. Make sure you get an M&M shake. Maybe even, even add some Butterfinger pieces in that. It's time for my top 10 list, though. Top 10 balls. I'm going to say on the front end, get your mind out of the gutter. This music doesn't help. We're back! Top 10 balls! Number 10, Robert! My number 10 favorite ball. Hardball. It's only two dudes better than me, and I'm both of them! (laughs) I bet you have a treasure trove of LaMelo ball cuts to dive through. I don't know about a treasure trove, but I've got 10 of them. I was showing Sarah Bradford some of the interviews he did on CNN where he was just clowning Chris Cuomo. If you haven't gone back and seen those, that's worth a watch. After he became front and center in the political sphere, because LeVar Ball finds a way to make everybody upset, Uh, he did not thank the president for helping get... I don't know if it was Leangelo or Lamello out of China when he stole a pair of Louis Vuitton glasses or something. Probably should have done my homework more on that. Number nine! My number nine ball! Mati ball? One, two, that's all my body requires. Monte ball. Wisconsin! So many great backs have come out of there. You have Jonathan Taylor, who's the latest Wisconsin back. Monty Ball was on that Russell Wilson Wisconsin team about a decade ago. Played a little bit with the Denver Broncos, if memory serves correct. Trying to think of other Wisconsin backs to make it in the NFL. Ron Dane way back when immediately comes to mind. But yeah, Wisconsin, they've always had dudes, it feels like. Wasn't Melvin Gordon, didn't he go to Wisconsin? 
Melvin Gordon did go to Wisconsin. I think he went to Wisconsin. Yes, he did. Ron Dane, though, he is one of my favorites. Um, that's probably the best Wisconsin running back there is out of the bunch. Where are we at? Number eight. My number eight ball. Tough little nut. No, mine is like that. I say ball at the end. Unbelievable ball. It's one of the greatest compliments Roy Williams can give a smaller guard. Call you a tough little nut. And Marcus you wanted Page. everybody to get their mind out of the gutter. Marcus Page. He got that nickname. Um, ton of guys. Chris Likes, a recent example of that. If Roy Williams calls you that name, calls you a tough little nut, that means something. Number seven. My number seven ball. The Rock. You already got the Lakers hat. When did you get this hat made? Uh, when he was a baby. He's so good. Watching back through those, I was like, I did not remember. I knew he was entertaining, but some I was in here laughing by myself at how funny he was with some stuff. He is funny. As I mentioned, you need to go through those CNN interviews where they're doing very serious news. I've got a cut for you. Okay, fantastic. Ryan's writing in. James White went to Wisconsin, too. Running back you. The Rock. What do you think of somebody when they call a football or basketball The Rock? Uh, They're either really good at the sport or they're not very good at the sport. I think douche. Yo, bro, pass the rock. Okay. Number six. My number six ball. Doug Baldwin. Lonzo Ball is going to take the Lakers to the playoffs his first year. I have another hat on to say I told you so. Wrong on that one. How's he feeling now? First season, Lonzo in New Orleans. The Lakers are winning the title. Maybe it's part of the reason we haven't heard a lot from LeVar. Lately, Doug Baldwin, pre-DK Metcalf, best receiver Russell's had in the NFL? Uh, I think the jury's still out. We're still trying to figure out Tyler Lockett. I think if he has another year or two producing the way he is, I would say it's him right now. But, yeah, Doug probably has a leg up on him. Number five, my number five ball, the player haters ball. Michael Jordan. Who did you think was the best? Who did you think was the best? Kobe or LeBron? Who did you think was the best? Guess what the story is now? Who's better? LeVar or Michael Jordan? I think about no damn LeVar. It's so great. It's so great he got on these shows and was able to insert his name into the greatest basketball player ever debate. It was a slow news week. It's an amazing thing he was able to do. Do you remember the characters? From the player haters ball, I can't like stank nasty or something. I can't remember their names. Well, you got Silky Johnson. That one sticks out. Pitbull, Buck Nasty is what you're thinking of. Mm. That was played by the late Charlie Murphy. Buck Nasty had to change out his mama's dish, according to Silky Johnson. I forget what the guy's name who had the perm 
and constantly needed the hairspray. That one sticks out too. Chappelle Show, it's on Netflix. It's the best. It's my favorite sketch TV show of all time. Moving on, number four. My number four ball, The Duke. I'm the one who made Lonzo. You know why? Because I picked a beautiful wife to make it. Had it all planned out from day one. Heady play on LeVar's part. Yeah, because who's going to be like, yeah, you, no, that's not true, LeVar. Your wife's ugly. Like, who's going to say that when he's on his show? Like, that's maybe the only claim that someone's not going to dispute. Like, yeah, okay, your wife, your wife's hot, sure. I've never seen what LeVar's wife looks like. I, I wouldn't classify her as hot, but, I mean, if she rocks his boat, that's all that matters. The Duke. What they call the ball in the NFL, or some people call the ball the Duke. Number three. My number three ball, J.K. Rowling's. I think you're all talking. You're a big old softball. Stop it. What's look at those, the look word, at those eyes. Big baller, you hauler. <laughs> what was that at the end? Big baller, you hauler. Big baller, you hauler. No, not like holler, like you haul. Like the oh, truck. Oh, I understand. J.K. Rowling's. Do people still like J.K. Rawlings? Uh, she's kind of mixed reviews. It depends how plugged in you are to her latest stuff. But, I mean, if you just know about Harry Potter, then yeah, sure. Yeah, I'm just going to stick to Harry Potter. Number two. My number two ball. Russell Wilson. How did you know that LeBron was going to yes. come there? Come on, man. That's why people are always so mad at me because I'm always right. <laughs> That's not why. Oh, Chris Cuomo. Russell Wilson. That qualifies as two, I think. There's an athletic brand that makes athletic gear and balls called Russell. And another, Wilson. NFL balls are Wilson footballs. And volleyballs. And volleyballs. Wilson! I'm sorry, Wilson! And number one, my number one ball. Ball don't lie. You know what? I'm going to talk to you. Talk you want to you have a conversation? Uh, hey, uh, heart to heart. My bad. Heart to ball. That's, that's not. <laughs> he was hanging out with Kevin Hart, too? He did that uh, two ice tubs interview with him that Kevin used to do a couple years ago where they'll sit in an ice bath and then just talk. First one to get out loses. I've never been in an ice bath before. They're, they're rough, but just like anything else cold, it's all in your mind. Like, if you can tell yourself that it's not that bad, it, it's not that bad. And that's the top ten list, Robert. Looking for some others that were on the outside looking in. Tyler Hero Ball. Brian Baldinger. Baldy. That one almost made the cut. Tough, tough luck. And that is the top 10 list for this week. All right, coming up, I'm putting together a Panthers drinking game for Sunday. Since this game's so bad, putting together a Panthers drinking game. And I'll tell you why I actually love the decision to start Taysom Hill for the Saints. Keep it here on a Friday Drive. Hit it. Let's begin. It's on. The Drive with Josh Graham on Sports Hub Triad. (laughs) 
I don't think Teddy Bridgewater should play on Sunday. I've made that known. I think without Teddy, we're all going to lose with this game. So it's a lose-lose for Carolina. If you play Teddy Bridgewater, you're kind of proving that you don't think he's a franchise quarterback worth protecting the way that you protected the asset in McCaffrey when he probably could have returned for the Atlanta game. You held him out just to be safe. Teddy hasn't practiced all this week. Limited work. First team reps all going to P.J. Walker and Will Greer split right down the middle. He's listed as questionable. Most teams have walkthroughs on Saturday versus the Panthers having it on Friday. They're going to have a full practice tomorrow, as they've been doing all season. So we could know something tomorrow about Teddy's status, but let's cue up Matt Rule real quickly. Here's what Matt had to say about Teddy's status a few hours ago. I feel better. Um, I think he's getting better. Um, I, you know, all along, I think I felt, you know, good about where it's headed. Just a matter of, you know, will, will we have enough time to get him to where he can be? Um, I think it'll truly be a game time decision, um, depending on, you know, how he feels and how I feel about how he feels. Next level. If Teddy doesn't play Sunday, I think it should be PJ Walker. We've been talking about this all week. PJ, he has a built-in relationship with Coach Rule that Will Greer doesn't. That helps you. Any field, I don't care what you're talking about. You probably get a leg up when you know you get a leg up if you have a built-in relationship with the decision-maker. Coach Rule's the decision-maker. PJ was his quarterback at Temple. He also was the quarterback they sought out to get during free agency to compete for the backup job. Will Greer, somebody they inherited. Marty Herney would probably like for it to be Greer, but the final call belongs to Joe Brady and Matt Rule. I think they have more vested interest in P.J. than they do Will Greer, and that's why we've seen P.J. lately when Teddy went out of the Atlanta game and went out on Sunday against the Buccaneers. I expect it to be P.J. There is a chance we could be watching Chase Daniel versus P.J. Walker. Shades of Vinny Testaverde going up against Trent Dilfer way back when. I think it might have been 2007. I was at that game back when I was emotionally attached to the team. I was a fan at that point before I became jaded by the media business and not being as emotionally attached. I sat in the last row of Bank of America Stadium in the upper deck as the Panthers beat San Francisco that day. My friend got a drink that he paid $20 for and he accidentally threw it off the edge of the stadium. We hope it didn't hit anybody after the Panthers won that game. So I remember it well. This matchup, boy, Chase Daniel versus P.J. Walker, probably not going to be the most fun. The reason it could be that, Matthew Stafford, it was announced, had a partially torn ligament in his throwing thumb. Missed practice one day this week though it's expected he's still going to start for Detroit. But even if he does start, he's going to be banged up. This feels like the least consequential home game in about 10 years. Might be the least talented Panthers team, too. Think about it. The four most valuable players on this roster, Teddy, Russell Okun at left tackle, K.K. Short, who's on injured reserve, and Christian McCaffrey, they all might not play. Russell Okun... He's doubtful this week. We know McCaffrey isn't going to go. As I mentioned, KK, he's on injured reserve. If Teddy doesn't play, 
That's the four most important players not able to go. Plus all the offseason turnover, Luke no longer around, Greg Olson hated seeing him get hurt last night. Gosh, it just seems like it's Groundhog Day for him with the plantar fascia and his foot. He's had a lot of problems with that over the last five years. It feels like the least consequential home game in a while. Speaking of Greg, the last few games, the last few years, they they felt like send-offs for some of these guys. This might be the end for Greg Olson or and Thomas Davis and Ryan Khalil in a way that these games right now, I, I don't feel any connection to it. It's a new coach trying to evaluate and rebuild, get some guys some looks who might not get it uh, down the road. So I think the Lions are going to win the game. They have more incentive to win. They're at four and five, still have a shot at making the playoffs. They have a coach who's more concerned with winning right now. Matt Patricia, he's coaching for his job. I think the losing streak's going to continue. If Teddy plays, it's going to be a closer game. 2017, I'll take the Lions. If Teddy doesn't play, I don't think Carolina can compete. I think it will be something around 20-7 to Lions. Now being joined by somebody who called the triad home for a very long time. Chris Lee, previously at WXII, now doing great things for WRAL in the Triangle. I love following you on Twitter, by the way, man, Chris Lee TV. How emotionally vested are you into Sunday's game, especially if McCaffrey doesn't play, which we know he won't, and Teddy doesn't go? Um, I, I'm very, First off, it's good to hear your voice, man, so thank you for having me back. Of course. Um, I'm, I'm very emotionally invested, just mainly because uh, as a Panthers fan and someone who's covered the, the team for the last few years, the last thing you want is to end the season with yet another crazy losing streak. This will be the third year in a row. And this one would end up being longer than you know the first two, and so um, I would want to see them put up some sort of a fight uh, without Teddy, without Christian. If it's without Teddy, I agree with you; they they lose. Are you um, working with, Sunday? Um, I'm kind of working from home, watching the game, and then I have to like zoom in my analysis. So, but but I'll be watching the game. Okay, so you can't participate. We're putting together here, since the game might be dreadful to watch, it could even be Chase Daniel versus P.J. Walker. We're putting together a Panthers drinking game that we're calling Keep Pounding Beers. You know? You're not going to yeah. be able to participate, right? No, I'm not, because I'm going to have to be sober enough to do some, um, some analysis. <laughs> I would love to there. see that. It'd be like, listen here. The Panthers, they were... They, uh, PJ Walker. I had some PJ. This guy's, you know, it's tough. Yeah. <laughs> and some Johnny Walker. <laughs> <laughs> Chris Lee's with us here. Uh, who won last night's versus? Uh, okay, so um, I, I think if you just go based off of the hits that we know for from you know mainstream radio and then just mainstream in general, you have to give it to Young Jeezy. But there is an argument that. Uh, Gucci Mane won, but it just depends on like your taste in music and what you like. But I think overall, just the general public would agree that that Young Jeezy won. All right, or that Jeezy. sounded that's the very it. diplomatic, subjective answer from Chris, talking about it like it's sports almost. What does Chris Lee think? Chris Lee's interest, Chris Lee's leaning, who won the verses? Um. I would say Jeezy won. Um, you know, I don't. I don't necessarily like one over the other as far as music is concerned. I think I like them pretty evenly. Um, I okay. So let's get into the the whole beef, right? Okay. 
I, I think when it comes down to how the whole thing even happened with supposedly, supposedly, uh, Young Jeezy had his homeboys try to go to go after Gucci Mane and Gucci Mane basically defended himself and walked away from the situation, but ended up killing one of Young Jeezy's homeboys. If it happened like that, in that type of situation, I understand why Gucci has had held animosity towards him for all this time. Like, you really tried to, to take me out. And, and now, you know, you're kind of painting me as the bad guy in this whole situation. So, in a way, it feels like Gucci is like the heel, but the heel that you agree with. So, uh, but as far as the actual hits, you know, I agree that Young Jeezy has more hits. And so, and he won that versus. But a part of me was kind of going for Gucci Mane in a way because he's that heel that you kind of agree with, if that makes sense. Yeah, it makes sense. Chris Lee's with us here. I almost said of WXII, but from uh, WRAL, uh, Chris Lee is with us here. Uh, Robert has something real quick. I See, when you're in here, you guys are big wrestling fans. I'm not. We were just talking about maybe the most ambitious crossover of 2020 where you have merch out there with Snoop Dogg and Undertaker on it. Collab merch between Snoop Dogg and Undertaker. Robert, what do you have here? Uh, Chris, Survivor Series is coming up, and I didn't know if you could name a dream Survivor Series team, or is that too hard for you to come up with on the fly? A dream? No, I could definitely do that from any promotion or just WWE. Oh, yeah, whoever you want. Throw them all together, man. Okay, so um, I think for sure i got to put Bret Hart in there. Okay. Um, I want to have The Rock. I want to have uh, Sting. I want to have uh, Daniel Bryan. Nice. And I think, and this is going to be um, a little weird, and, and people who may not know Japanese wrestling, but uh, I think I, I kind of want to have uh, Shima in there. Because the, I, I really like, it's, it's really random, but I think he would add a lot of uh, personality to that team. For sure. I mean, and, and you're saying that a team with The Rock already on it is adding personality to it. So, I mean, that says a lot about Shima, too. Uh, when, I, when you got into wrestling, because you both, Robert was a wrestling referee, you were a wrestler way back when. Um, when you got into it, who was the guy that inspired you most? Was it The Rock? Um, so at growing up, uh, you know, The Rock, I would say The Rock, Hulk Hogan, and Sting were, and, and Bret Hart were my favorite wrestlers. Uh, I kind of fell out of love with wrestling when I got to college in 04, and that's around the time when, you know, uh, The Rock and, and Stone Cold and everybody started really leaving. And then what got me back into wrestling was actually with CM Punk. And watching CM Punk and his, uh, you know, feud with John Cena. And then there was like this weird, interesting uh, series of events. I went to a CWF event um, that they had at a, at a recreation center in Greensboro. Then I flew down to Florida to visit my mom for her birthday. Uh, she lives in Orlando. I went to a TNA taping, and then I drove over to Tampa to go to an FCW taping, which is their uh, WWE's old developmental uh, organization. And I literally saw CWF, uh, TNA, and uh, FCW literally within a week. And I was like, okay, I got to do this now. And I contacted CWF, and that's really how I got it. So it was, it's kind of like a series of events that happened that led me to go do it. Chris Lee on Twitter at Chris Lee TV. It's good to hear from you. Don't be a stranger in the triad. Hope you're safe and well, my friend. For sure. Whenever you guys need me on, just, just give me a call. There you go. We'll do that. That's Chris Lee, uh, previously of XII, now with WRAL. Miss having that guy in studio more often.
you say a lot of people are the best, but I genuinely think he's one of the best. I love Chris. Great dude. Triad guy as well. Breaking down the verses the way I'd break down a game. That was very diplomatic of him, though. I was like, come on. I still can't believe he gave it to Jeezy. I thought he would he would oh. see the lines oh. that Gucci was throwing. Oh, it's Jeezy. I thought it was Jeezy just because I don't think anything Gucci Mane has touches put on or, quite frankly, I mean, you just think about the best songs that he has. Um, Wasted, Lemonade. Those were good and they had their run, but put on, I still hear on the radio. Legitimately, I still hear that on the radio. I mean, but this wasn't about who you're hearing on the radio. This was about verses, like lines versus lines, hits versus hits. And that's where I feel like Gucci had the edge is the depth. Because if you look at his discography, the dude has put out, no lie, 50, 75, 100 albums, like long lines of music. I might have been late to it as well. Did he play Go Getta or um, did he do, gosh, that might be accounted as an Akon song, Soul Survivor? Did he do any uh, of those? I would count Soul Survivor as a Jeezy song, okay. uh, but I, I didn't hear either one of those, but I was also in and out. I was watching on my computer, so it wasn't straight, just on my phone. I'm on the Wolf Pack for this weekend, and I'm also on the Mountain Men as they get set to face a top 25 team at Dirty Myrtle. I'll tell you why next on The Drive.